tall and she grew up right with the Indiana boys on an Indiana night. What you drinking? I'm having a nice cup of Irene tea. I don't like tea. But this one will provide you a little bit of nostalgia. It's family owned and operated in Indiana. Well, let me try some of that. Oh, that's pretty good. Where'd you get it from? I went to IraneTea.com and in a few clicks, it was at our front door. Welcome to the Keeping the Nostalgia Alive show. I'm your host, Billy Powell. Today I'm joined by a former outstanding Hal Hornet who also went on and played uh, a little bit of basketball at Ball State University. But more importantly, I'm with an actor, a musician, and an artist. C.W. Mundy has joined us. C.W., thank you so much for uh, taking some time out of your busy schedule to help us keep the nostalgia alive. Hey, man. Thanks for including me. I'm excited to do this. C.W., what was the first thing that you picked up as a kid? Was it a basketball, paintbrush, or a banjo? Uh, neither. It was a pencil. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, you know, I was about, I used to sit on my father's uh, lap and squeeze. He was uh, in the service, and he had uh, these big, strong arms, and, I, and he was left-handed, and I would sit there and squeeze his arm and look at his tattoo and squeeze that muscle, and my dad would be sitting there drawing uh, these little stick figures and doing, uh, you know, doodling. And so I think that's where it all started. You know, the son always wants to emulate his father if they have that, if they have a relationship. And so that was what started me off with the art was was doodling because my father did. So, so when when did basketball come into play? Well, he uh, he would take me over to. I went to uh, Susan Rowe Leach School sixty eight uh, on the east side of Indianapolis, and my dad would take me over there uh, when I could start dribbling the basketball, and he would go over there and play with me. But he used to do things that really made me mad because I would watch TV you know, watch the pros and, uh, you know, see uh, the officials call the fouls. But my dad pushed me and shoved me and knocked me and did all of that. And I said, you can't do that. That's a foul. He says, that's what's going to happen. Get used to it. <laughs> so, I, you know, that was when I was real young. He, uh, he introduced me into the basketball so was there anyone, of course, your dad taught you some of the game, but was there anyone that you kind of, uh, uh, you said you watched basketball on TV. Was there anybody you tried to emulate or anybody that uh, you tried to fashion your shot afterward? Well, it really wasn't a shot. It was a dunk. <laughs> what I would do is I'd watch uh, Bill Russell and and uh, Will Chamberlain go at it, and, uh, and then I'd run in my bedroom. I had taken a clothes hanger and took some kite string and made a little net and had it uh, taped up on my door. And I run in there with a, uh, it was like a, a little rubber ball or a, a tennis ball or something. And then I would make these moves and then dunk on the thing. And that, that was sort of the beginning of uh, the whole, you know, the whole basketball experience. Um, any any brothers or sisters? Or tell us a little bit about your family before you got into how high school. Yeah, I have a sister, Charlene, who's two years old, older than me, and that's it. So so take us into uh, uh, in going to how was how where you were supposed to go. Once you got to how, did you uh, instantly uh, uh, play varsity basketball at how high school? Or uh, tell us how your game kind of progressed while you were in high school. Well, actually, uh, I was supposed to go to Tech. Uh, I lived on the east side, and uh, our grade school was uh, our grade school uh, was headed to Tech High School. But my sister, for some reason, was able to go to Howe, and so since she was two years older, since she was at Howe, my dad didn't want us to go to two different, and mother didn't want us to go to two different high schools, so. 
so they sent, you know, and I wanted to go to Tech because Tech had all the, you know, the basketball and had uh, had all the accolades of being a great uh, athletic school. And, uh, but, you know, I had to do what my parents wanted me to do. And uh, so I went to Howe and, and then I played on the freshman team and, uh, back then, uh, they didn't let freshmen uh, play varsity, and uh, and I wouldn't I wasn't good enough to play varsity anyway as a freshman, but I was one of the better uh, players on the on the freshman team, and uh, and then uh, played uh, 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 some reserve ball, and then uh, my senior year was the best year. It was. It was. Uh, it took me a long time to to get confidence in the game, and that's three fourths of it. Uh, you really have to have the confidence to do anything, and then it takes you to a whole other level. If you don't have that confidence, you're always going to be in the struggle, and that's kind of where I was until I got the confidence and uh, found my role on the team. Uh, and uh, was was able to produce. Well, you guys, uh, uh, was it your junior year or senior year? You guys went pretty far in the tournament, didn't you? Yeah, it was the uh, our senior year. We uh, we went the farthest the team had ever gone. We were in the semi-state, went all the way to the semi-state, and uh, and uh, the team that knocked us out. Our tallest guy was six three. John Reynolds, who played at Purdue with uh, Billy Keller and Herm Gilliam and and, uh, and Rick Mal. Uh He was six three in high school, and he was our center. And I was six two, and I played forward and guard. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, the teams that beat us, these guys had a front line of six seven, six six, and six five. <coughs> and uh, that was a, uh, a big challenge to overcome, uh, and it finally, you know, it got us when we got that deep into the tournament, into the semi-state. It was just almost impossible to overcome that size. Now, was Coach uh, uh, Coach Schroeder was one of your coaches, correct? The, uh, one of the uh, players on the 1954 uh, Milan Indians. Uh, yes. Yeah. Roger Schroeder uh, continues to be a great friend, and uh, he was a big uh, motivator and a big role player in my basketball because uh, uh, he really uh, mentored me and uh, got me focusing on the things that I really needed to be focused on and really took me as a personal project, and I think that's what... uh, a lot of the real coaches, the really good coaches, do they? They see players that have abilities, uh, and uh, they're able to uh, get that best ability out of them by doing a good job of mentoring. And uh, <coughs> excuse me, so I was really blessed to have him, and and uh, we just took a trip down to Myland uh, and went to the museum with him and our varsity coach, uh, Jim Stutz. What, you, you know, this show, we, we, we know, you know, it's, it's good to be egotistical on the show because this is what it's all about. But can you tell us your memories of the game that you outscored Rick Mount? Well, it was just, uh, this was, you know, really towards the end of the season, and that's when I started off the the very first of the season. I had come out of a, a terrible summer, a battle with a, uh, oh great, I can't. It was uh, it's when you're really your system's really run down. What's that called? Uh, mono. Yeah, uh, had a really bad. And it uh, turned into uh, hepatitis, and I really thought I really came close to dying. Uh, and so 
uh, when the right before the season started, my dad would take me to school, and uh, I would uh, I would just stand underneath the basket and could barely even shoot a lay in it. Uh, I couldn't even jump off the floor because I was trying to rehabilitate. And that was, of course, the beginning of the season. In fact, the first game we played, we played uh, Washington, Billy Keller, and and uh, and those guys, which were one of the top teams in the state. And I I got to play like one quarter. That was all, all the stamina I had that I had built up before the season started to play. And then by the end of the season, uh, you know, I I. I really developed my scoring role, and I was averaging about 21, somewhere between 17 and 20, 21 points a game uh, uh, towards the end and all during the tournaments. And uh, but that game we we played, uh, uh, we I guarded Rick the first quarter, uh, Rick Burrow. The other guard uh, guarded in the second quarter. I guarded in the third, and Rick guarded in the fourth. And uh, of course, he was on the cover of uh, Sports Illustrated, and uh, he had averaged, uh, you know, he was I don't know, averaging twenty, probably twenty-eight, twenty-nine points a game as a sophomore. And we held him to twenty-five, and uh, I got twenty-nine that game. That was my highest scoring uh, game. <laughs> CW, where where did you get your uh, uh were your were your mom and dad a religious people? Oh yeah, yeah, we I grew up in a wonderfully wonderful Christian home and uh uh and I'm very grateful for it because it uh it it really uh, has paid off uh, during my life and uh, helped me to overcome uh, uh, the problems that uh, that I faced in the 70s. At what point during your high school career did you start getting uh, uh, scholarship offers to play college basketball? Well, actually, because my senior year was my uh, the big varsity year, uh, they started coming in, uh, uh, during the, uh, when we were in the, uh, in, you know, in the playoffs and the, after the regional game and then, uh, and then uh, the semi-state game. And then after that, uh, the, you know, the, all of us, uh, started, uh, four or five of the guys on the team started getting uh, letters from uh, colleges. Do you remember your first letter from a college? Uh, no, I don't. Uh, I can remember uh, the coach uh, reading off the people that were contacting uh, uh, us, and uh, but I do remember... Uh, uh, road trip. Uh, we'd gotten uh, letters from I don't know. Uh, I'd gotten offers from a bunch of schools that were NAIA, uh, and uh, so my dad and a, a friend of ours and one of the players that went to Purdue, uh, John Reynolds. We all went down and took a road trip and went down to uh, Western Carolina, Lenoir Rhine. High Point, uh, Eastern Carolina, and I don't know, there were four or five different schools and uh, and tried out uh, and scrimmaged against their ball players. And uh, this, the school that I ended up going to, I went to Lenore Ryan, which is in Hickory, North Carolina, on a full ride. But I only ended up staying there one year because I, I just couldn't stand. It was too far away from home, and I, I missed missed our family, and uh, I just felt like a duck out of water. That was 1965, and they were all reliving 
of the Civil War, uh, the Hundred Year Centennial, <laughs> and I was the guy from the north. And you had to stand up during Dixie at the football games, or you were a traitor and stuff. Uh, I just thought, like I said, like a duck out of water. I didn't, I didn't want to have to pay for the whole war over again, and uh, and and uh, also to the coaches. Uh, uh, coach's nephew was a freshman from North Carolina and he got the uh, playing time of course uh, instead of me and so uh, I saw the writing on the wall there and was disappointed with that and uh, so I transferred up to Ball State and, and, and so did you play how, how long did you play or how much did you play for Ball State well, that's a that's a really uh, a long, strange story. Uh, uh, Coach Hinga, uh, I came up and tried out, and uh, he said that he he couldn't offer me a scholarship, but he said he promised me this. He said, if you become sixth man on the team, he said. Uh, then and that would be my sophomore year playing basketball. He said, "Then your junior year." He said, "Yeah, you know, you'll have a scholarship, but you've got to, you've got to at least make that sixth man." And so, uh, the whole basketball experience at Ball State was uh, was like the most unbelievable, uh, sad, horrific experience I think an athlete could. Encounter. We had a fight at every practice. We had no control by the coach, no leadership. In fact, the basketball players all felt, and rightfully so, we knew more about basketball than he did. There were four guys off the Indiana All-Star team on that team. And Terry Stolbar from Lafayette, Jeff, was a small college All-American that transferred from Tyler. Texas up here and we couldn't even have a winning season so that shows you uh, in that in that league uh, how horrific uh, the coaching was and the coach kept coming to me and saying you know you know Chuck you're really doing great man you're really hitting your shots and <clears throat> I'm gonna try to get you in there I'm gonna I'm gonna get you in there and get you in there and, and uh, so finally did and uh, so I was I was scoring anywhere from ten to fourteen points, and uh, so by the end of the season, you know I had achieved that that uh, as the sixth man on the team. I came in. I didn't start in the games, uh, but I came in uh, soon after the games got going or whatever, and played a couple different positions. And uh, so I went in to the office at the end of the season for the conversation about the scholarship, and I walked up, <coughs> sat down across from his big desk, and he looked at me and he said, uh, and I just, uh, because I was an art student, I just started, uh, this was like, you know, a month or two or three after the season, and I just started growing a mustache, or trying to. And he looked at me, and he had the nerve to say, "You know, I don't know if I can give you a scholarship if you're going to, you know, start wearing that mustache." <laughs> and I looked at him, and I said, "And this is exactly what I said. I said I can't believe a person in your position, the coach, and after we've had the season that we've had, and then you would make that comment to me." about this stupid mustache, I said, nobody sees me out on the basketball court. The season's over. has nothing to do with basketball. And I didn't even let him finish. I just got up and walked out of my chair, and they had those great big, thick, frosted, pane glass windows and the big wood doors. And I slammed that door as hard as I could, and I was hoping that the glass would just shatter and it didn't break, which made me 
even matter. And uh, so what happened was seven off of the varsity, three that were starters, all quit the team. All seven of us quit the team. The athletic director never called us in, never had a conversation with us. It never hit the newspapers. I mean, this would be the biggest scandal you'd ever hear if this was, uh, you know, 2014. Seven off of a varsity team quit. And uh, it was just shoved underneath the, underneath the rug. And then uh, uh, a year later, uh, they fired him. And then the freshman coach, who knew of my playing, asked me if I would come back out uh, because he said he needed a leader on the team. That really made me feel good, but I told him I'd had enough. And I said I hadn't played in two summers, which I hadn't. Uh, and uh, I just didn't want – I didn't think I could do it. You know, but when now knowing, uh, you know, a lot, have a lot more maturity, I could have probably – rallied and got it together and got the game back. Uh, but anyway, that's what happened. The CW, so, so when did your musical interest uh, uh, take place and, and what instrument did you pick up first? Well, uh, it was when I was in college uh, and I was in a fraternity, the Lambda Chi, and there were some guys in the house that sang and played music, so, you know, I always sang in the church, and I always liked to sing, so my dad bought me my first guitar, which was a German 12-string, and then later he bought me my first Martin uh, Triple Lot 18, which I've tried to buy back. I sold it out in California many years ago, and the guy won't let go of it. And uh, so I played in a band called the American Gothic, and uh, we uh, I just started learning to play uh, the guitar and then later the banjo. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, you're, you're quite all right. Yeah, the audience needs to know, man. I've just had a four-day battle. Of the, I haven't had a cold and probably 16, 17 years, and I've had the worst cold I've probably ever had in my life. So so when you were in college and you were doing the band thing, did you also, was it a, was it a balance with, with art, and, and what kind of path did you first start out as an artist? Uh, well, I, it was just hand in hand. I played music, and uh, and the basketball thing uh, came to that halt. Although I still played, we played. Uh, we had an intramural team called uh, the Black Keys, and uh, we had a better team than the varsity. <laughs> and so the varsity scrimmaged against us, and we'd beat them every time we played them. And uh, but the art, uh, the art thing, I was. My two heroes when I was in, uh, well, I had three heroes when I was in college in art. Norman Rockwell, <coughs> excuse me, Walt Disney, and, uh, uh, oh, no, uh, uh, Salvador Dali. And uh, and then also Maxville Parish. So I actually had four art heroes that I really loved. And and the art school, they all hated Norman Rockwell because they, you know, it's that typical stuff teaching in college is that, you know, the modernism had hit the scene in the late 60s. And uh, so they threw the baby out with the bathwater. Anything that was realistic was horrific so he got slammed and uh and my my like of him uh, was always watered down by the people in the school in fact uh 
when I went to college, I mean, I went, did my master's at Long Beach State, uh, some of the students started calling me Norman. <laughs> what what caught your attention with uh, Walt Disney? Just the animation? Well, when I was a little kid, uh, the animation was so phenomenal and fantastic. And what, what Walt would do to make that so believable and so intriguing, he would have human beings do the scene or do the physical thing that, that the comic character had to do, and they just laid cells over the top of that and were able to make that animation of the figure doing, make it look so believable. It was really a great, ingenious idea that somebody at Disneyland, whether it was Walt or whatever, came up with. And I was just so intrigued by all of that at a young age, it was the it was the biggest uh, influence to me. And then I would sit on our milk box at twenty one sixty five North De Quincy on the day that the postman would bring the Saturday evening post, which my mother would remind me. And uh, and when that magazine, when he delivered that magazine, I'd take it inside, and that was my playing time. And I'd take that thing inside. Uh, of course, this was in the summertime when the school was uh, not in, and I would I would go in there and look at that magazine and just stare at the cover for at least forty five minutes because I was just so uh, blown away. Uh, by that was my first introduction into into art, into illustration, uh, because you know we didn't have an art museum in Indiana. My parents uh, never took me to any museums, and I never had any books on art. <laughs> so you were, while you were at Ball State and you're you're ending you know your college days at Ball State, and you you talked about going to Long Beach State. That was kind of a, at that time point in the history of America, that was kind of a, a tumultuous time with different directions you could go. Would you, would you agree? Uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a pretty interesting time. Uh, you know, I made the decision to go uh, to the West Coast after being at Ball State. I wanted to see uh, how my talent uh matched up with what was going on in either the East or West Coast, and so living in Indiana, I knew what I knew what nasty weather we had here, and I knew that was going to be the same thing in New York, uh, plus I didn't know how much more expensive it was going to be to be there, but it was because of the weather, and I said, man, I'm going to Southern California where the surf's up. <laughs> And uh, so that's why I went, when I graduated, I went out. I had some friends that already lived out there, and I went out and visited them and ended up staying out in Southern California. Do you still have some of your original pieces that you originally painted? Uh, <clears throat> I've got the original that I did down in my dorm when I was down in uh, Hickory, North Carolina, Lenore Rhine. I painted this, made up this scene of this old Model T coming through a covered bridge at night with its lights on and the lights shooting out of the cracks in the uh, covered bridge and uh, and the sky and everything. And it was really kind of a combination of realism and, and animation and cartooning and everything. It was... Uh, uh, so I still have that one, and I still have a few pieces that I did out in the Southern California when I when I lived out there. So, so once you got your master's at Long Beach State, what did you proceed to do from there? Well, uh, you know, I uh, my itinerary was playing volleyball and chasing girls on the beach. That was. <laughs> You know, that's that's what a 20-year-old guy is going to do. And 
but I, in order to sustain uh, uh, that kind of a lifestyle, to be able to do that, I uh, I did I did animal portraits. Uh, I painted anything that I could paint that people would would uh, buy uh, to so that I you know could do my art and not have to punch the clock. Although there were a couple of times that. I actually had a result of that because the sales were thin, and uh, uh, I studied with, uh, when I did my master's program, I studied with one of the greatest uh, painting instructors to ever teach at, at Pasadena Art Center, Donald Putt Putman. I took private lessons from him on Wednesday night, paid him $7 uh, every uh, Wednesday night, and went over and painted from life in his studio. And he was the first living artist that was actually making a living and making a good living uh, that I had ever met. And he, Donald uh, was a huge, huge uh, uh, encouragement to me and a lot of other artists. Uh, Dan McCall being one who's a major player on the national scene in fine art today. If someone wanted to get a painting from you or see the work that you've done, is there, do you have a website or a place that they can go to take a look or to actually even purchase? Yeah, we have a, we have a website, cwmonday.com. We have a blog, uh, cwmonday.com. And we have, a, I'm on Facebook. And I post a lot of the paintings uh, as an instructional sort of thing, free instruction. I do that on Facebook uh, to try to encourage uh, artists uh, in their craft. I know this is going to uh, entail a lot here, but how did you get back from California back to Indiana and how in the world did you make it into the movie Hoosiers? Well, those are <laughs> two, uh, two very involved. Uh, I came back to Indiana because uh, we had a band called the Tarzan Swing Band, and we played all over the western United States. We played in Las Vegas. It was a band that was uh, uh, had a lot of creativity. We all wrote, all of us, all five of us as a quintet, we all wrote uh, our own music. We wrote in the styles of jazz, swing, bluegrass, country, rock, and folk. And uh, we had five different lead singers. And uh, MCA had just hired Elton John uh and put him on the label and they were getting ready to hire us we were going to be the next nitty gritty dirt band because of all the original stuff that we wrote and we were actually an acoustical show band which was because uh, we were all such characters it was a uh, it was a very unique thing but the girl in our uh, band was from uh she was our fiddle player and she was French, and uh, she was dying of Hodgkin's disease. And uh, she came back from a treatment up in Stanford, and she was gone. She was, the chemotherapy just, she was out of her mind. And uh, I told uh, our uh, guitar player, uh, who was in love with her, I told her to, told her to tell her, uh, uh, don't bring her to the, because we had a club that we played that was our home club when we were in uh, Southern, in, in Redondo Beach that we would play at when we were at home. We were out on the road and uh, I said, don't bring her to the gig. We'll do it as a quartet. We'll be fine, but don't let her come. And he brought her and she uh, <clears throat> blew it and reamed out the audience and was, uh, uh, just out of her mind, and I walked off the stage at the end of that uh, <clears throat> that set and got in the car, 
with a buddy of mine and went over and sat in front of his house and cried for an hour and a half. I said, the music career's over with. That's it. It's gone. It's done. And uh, <clears throat> so I decided, I think the Lord decided it for me, kind of covered me, said, you're going back to Indiana and you're going to be doing your art. And uh, <clears throat> you're, you're not going to have to rely on four or five other people in a band. You're, I'm going to work with you with your art, and you're going to be you're going to be known as an artist. And uh, so that's when I came back in in '78. I was tr I'm trying to remember the second part of the question. Oh no! Well, you're you're, you're 78. You're still you're still eight years away of uh, how you got into uh, uh, into acting with the Hoosiers, and of course uh, later on, oh. eight men out. Well, Hoosiers. Uh, I was back here, and uh, my fraternity brother, Ed Dunsmore, who's an attorney in Knightstown, called me up one day, and he said, hey, uh, they're, uh, they're taking auditions for for uh, people to fill this role, uh, this, these roles, this movie. It's going to be called Hoosiers. It's going to be a story about the Milan, the 54 Milan team that won the state, and they're looking for a uh, people to fill these roles and they need some coaches. I thought, well, this is, hello, this is right up my alley, uh, basketball. So, so I went over and, and met whoever the person was uh, to do the audition. They hired me right on the spot. I made $28 a day, <laughs> big money. And, uh, but actually, uh, uh, <clears throat> In the in the area that they used me, which was the game before the final game, which was ironic, they shot that sequence out at Lebanon High School. So I was in the old gym again, and uh, you know they had shots of me throwing the clipboard up in the air and smacking my head, calling a blocking foul. I was just doing the normal things that a coach would do, you know, reacting to what was going on in the game, and they had all the cameras running, so. It was, it was good to fill in stuff in between the stuff that they were uh, normally shooting. So there'd be like a, a second and a half of me here, a second and a half there, two seconds here, five seconds here, you know, that sort of thing. So there was about eight or ten or twelve different shots of me uh, in, uh, in the Hoosiers, and I got my father uh to go over and uh and audition and he got the role he sat next to Tom Carnegie who was the uh the announcer for the final game the state championship game and uh, my dad was sitting right next to him looked very sophisticated with his suit and he was pretending like he was writing down and and uh doing uh you know notations and stuff about the game and when I went to see the movie, Billy, it was so cool because the first time I got to see the thing, I was in a big movie theater. And and more than me, seeing my dad uh, uh, taking up uh, over a third of the whole movie screen was like one of the biggest thrills I ever had in my life. It was just so cool seeing him. I just I went nuts. Uh, and, and, and that's something I didn't know either. So that's, you know, because I'd always watch the movie because um, our high school basketball team, uh, we played, Broderick played Chitar because they couldn't get enough people at Hinkle Fieldhouse. And so, you know, I feel like I was a part of the movie, although I wasn't because they filmed the championship game at halftime during that game. But I did not know that about your father. So it was always interesting to watch Hoosiers and kind of, just pause it or whatever to uh, see you coach. And I think what was that? You were uh, you were the head coach for Jasper, right? Yeah. Well, you know what happened, Billy, was uh, these uh, these movies. Uh, they 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 take little little clips out of here and little clips out of there that are going to really change the movie, so that they can fill in a lot of different time slots based on if the commercials are running long or whatever. And uh, so sometimes, uh, you know, that spot with my dad isn't shown, and then sometimes it is. It's just 
that's one of the outs that they, you know, would, would take out to to uh, fill in the uh, the uh, you know the time time slots for it to be shown on TV. But that movie, which is really cool, is uh, touted as one of the top sports movies ever made, and uh, it's it was really a thrill to be able to be a part of it. I still go to some of their get-togethers, and it's really funny. They have us there signing autographs and stuff like that, like we're, you know, like we're famous people, which we're not. But that movie is uh, really famous. And when I go down uh, to uh, Nineveh, they have, I have a Jim Bennett as a good friend of mine, and he does all the fret work on my instruments. And when I drive down there, every time I go down and go down uh, to Nineveh, there's this one spot where it's the barn where uh, uh, Barbara Hershey and uh, 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 what's his name, the Gene, the main Gene, actor. Gene Hackman. Yeah, Gene Hackman and Barbara Hershey are standing there, and he's uh, shucking the, the parts of the corn off. And he's holding on to the stocks, and they're having this conversation. And I drive by that barn all the time, and every time I look at it, it just brings up this movie. That's cool. You know, that's cool. Did did you when when you uh, got involved with it? Did you think? Did you even have the possibility in your mind that the movie was going to be as big as it was? Or oh, I don't know. I I don't even think uh, Angelo. You know, it was it was just a movie that he had to make, and I think he had talked about it that people are going, oh, come on, you know, it's not going to be that great. But it uh, it really uh, turned out to be, uh, you know, it's 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 all about the human experience, and that's like that's what's important in art. Art it needs to be about the human experience in that movie was about the human experience of the tragedy with uh, the assistant coach and be, have battling alcoholism and and uh, the the families uh, the family thing and and uh, it's just it's just a a great movie. CW, when did you get into uh, uh, doing the? Um uh, you know, I, I, I used to have a nice print from you called the chair hurled around the world. But when did you when did you get into the uh, uh, doing a lot of the um, uh, athletic uh, paintings and portraits? Well, I was I was one of the first really in the business uh, on the college circuit to start doing. I started doing media guide covers and I don't remember. I really don't remember how that started, although. I just remember I did a lot of them for a lot of universities, uh, and and because I did that, uh, I uh, my brother-in-law and a, a business uh, a businessman down in uh, Morgantown, we started this company called Champion Illustrated Sports. And uh, this is when I was living down in Nashville, Indiana, and uh, I did this whole layout of Bob, uh, Coach Bob Knight, and uh, and his first first round NBA draft team at that particular time, and painted them all on hardwood. And then we had a guy with neon come in and put Bobby on one end and Knight on the other in neon. And uh, we took it over and showed Ralph Floyd, who's the athletic director at IU. We showed him that. Uh, we had it wheeled in on a cart and showed that to him and, and gave him the whole presentation we wanted to set up at IU and saw all these uh, posters and that. And then we had it worked out where 50% of the revenue was going to go to them and we were going to take the other 50% and we were going to set up all the stands and set up all of that according to whatever they wanted. And, uh, Ralph Floyd looked at us like we had horns coming out of our head and he goes, well, I don't know. He says, uh, 
I don't know if Coach Knight has this kind of a reputation, a big enough reputation to do something like this. And I'm thinking, and we're sitting there across the desk going, are you kidding me? He just punched out the janitor in Puerto Rico, you know, uh, during the uh, Olympic trials or whatever it was. And you're telling me that he's, and he was already known as one of the top coaches in the industry. And we just thought, oh, this is, this is nuts. Well, Coach Knight, ended up seeing that and that's he called me in for an interview and he said uh i usually don't do this but he said uh uh i saw this thing and he said you're the first guy that i've ever seen that can make the players look like who they are they don't look like martian <laughs> martians or whatever and he said uh i want you know i want to hire you to do our media guides and our program covers and so i'm going whoopee yay and uh so they didn't they didn't ralph floyd nixed the other thing but coach knight ended up hiring me in which i worked for him for several years i don't know how many years doing that uh and it was really a it was a big eye opener uh back to the basketball thing was that he allowed me to come in, and he and the media couldn't even do this, but he let me come in and watch his 25 closed practices. And he he didn't know if I played or he didn't know if I played college basketball or anything. You know, he he could care less because his thing was he wanted the artwork. But when I saw those 25 closed practices, I I said to myself. If I would have been under that kind of tutelage and uh, and that kind of a program, I truly believe that I uh, that I could have played some ABA ball. I really thought that I could have because I had the ability to, to score and I knew the game really pretty well. And uh, but I just you know the college thing was just the that was the end of it because I went on and played. Afterwards, when I was in Long Beach State, I played uh, ball at uh, in Southern California with some of the top players uh, coming up out of college, and uh, I got to play uh, in a lot of scrimmages and a lot of ball games with those guys, and uh, <clears throat> my game was a lot better and had really grown. But if I had had that in college, it would have been. Phenomenal. It was so great to get to see how he worked those players. And I had such a great respect because his whole, his whole thing came down to one word, and that was preparation. Uh, that was the whole deal, and that's really what life's all about is the preparation that you take. Um, and you also got to do uh, Denny Crum and Pete Mer Did you actually meet per Pete Maravich? Uh, no, uh, a uh, funny thing about that poster though, his wife didn't like the poster that I did of Pete because she said, uh, it looked like hellfire and damnation because I had, uh, you know, I took some ap apocalyptic images from Hieronymus Bosch and had figures burning and had, uh, you know, like balconic, uh, spooling up and stuff in the background and then I forget what scripture that I used it was his uh, it was his favorite uh, scripture but she thought I went a little bit overboard with it and uh, but you know that's that's the only uh, thing that I know about that about the, the Pete I didn't I didn't get to meet him but but I did, uh, I did uh, get a hang with Danny Crum and uh, Bill. What was Bill's name? The athletic director down at uh, Louisville. He was so excited because he he was so happy that I got. Because see, I got fired by Coach Knight when I did the chair hurl around the world. <laughs> he thought that I was turning against him when I was trying to make a an, a money thing off of his terrible. Uh, uh, you know, he was throwing the chair February 25th, 
1985 or 26, which, whichever it was. And uh, but a bunch of businessmen from Indiana, Indianapolis, uh, came to me and wanted me to do this poster. And Rick Barry had it all set up. He was a, an agent that actually uh, the great forward for the NBA. Rick's a personal friend, and he he was uh, hustling my artwork and getting me jobs. And uh, he had it all set up in the garden, and uh, we were we went to Coach Knight to have him. Uh, if we we were going to have him sign 500 signed limited editions, and we were going to give him, he was going to make 250 thousand dollars, and he nixed the whole thing because he was so uh, flipped out that he thought this this whole general around the world was going to be a real detriment to his blemish his uh, career in coaching and this and that. It ended up being one of the one of the big memorable things that he ever did. In fact, later, uh, year uh, after we did that, he had some of those posters and he was signing them, <laughs> you know, uh, to to personal friends and stuff like that. But anyway, I got called in the office and he's six foot five or six foot six and I'm six two and he's his face is like about seven inches away from my face <laughs> and he's spitting and cussing and yelling at me. You blankety blank scammer! I said you're the worst scammer I've ever met, and, and did this in front of Joby Wright and his secretary. And uh, so I took a lashing from him, and and that was it. He he canned me. But I'll tell you, Coach and I, I have a lot of respect for him. Uh, he was like my father. He's old school, uh, and. And I like that old school about him, and I like the fact that he was a tough taskmaster. And uh, he told he tells all of, he told all of his players he said, "You put up with my blankety blank stuff for four years, I'll put up with you for the rest of your life." And that's exactly what that man has done to every one of his ball players. He's a man of his word, and. Uh, so I, I have great respect for him, and we we patched up our relationship years after this. When I when my book was published on uh, by this uh, Australian publisher on uh, on my fine art, and I talked about Coach Coach Knight in there, and I sent him a copy, and he sent me a basketball with a few choice words on it, signed by him, <laughs> telling me that he was still up to the same old. I mean, I have so many neat stories about what he did to me to to rake me over the coals on purpose because that's that's what he did to see if you were loyal and see if you would put up with it. If you put up with it, uh, it was just his way of showing, you know, that he liked you and uh, and uh, he would go out of his way, you know, to do things like that. Uh, so. I feel so honored and so grateful that I got to spend time with one of the greatest coaches to ever coach college basketball. He really was. He had the full package. That's some, that's some good stuff. That's some good stuff. What, what, uh, now, do you, uh, what, you work with the Hall of Fame a little bit, the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame? Uh, yeah, they uh, – uh, Bart Kaufman, uh, who's a, a financier in Indianapolis, hired me uh, uh, during and after the time that I got fired from Coach Knight to paint uh, a bunch of the Hall of Famers at IU, and he had them hanging in his office next to Leroy Neiman Originals, which was really pretty cool for me. And uh, then he ended up donating uh, those paintings to the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame and then to the uh, uh, National Basketball Hall of Fame in, uh, I think it's in Pennsylvania. And uh, they have a a big 48 by 60 coaches, I think it's coaches of the 70s, uh, the top coaches of the 70s that I did. So now, now back back to a little bit of music. Uh, what's the band that you're currently in? And you, do you guys travel? Do you guys have CDs? What what do you do musically right now? 
Uh, well, I'm a, I play in a couple different bands, uh, but the main band is called the Disco Mountain Boys, and uh, uh, we don't do clubs, bars, restaurants, festivals. We already we've done all that early in our life, you know, when we we're younger, when we felt like we needed to, and it was important, and it was fun, and we liked to travel. But this is uh, a bunch of guys that have careers. Uh, a couple of them are major engineers, and and uh, they all do different things. But they have their own jobs, and we do this just as a fun thing. Uh, we get hired to play for private parties, and uh, we're like the background entertainment. And if people that are there at the party eating or drinking or whatever, come over and hang with us and uh, and request songs and and listen to us and have conversation with us. And, the, and that's all this band is geared for because we don't need a job. We've already had jobs, and we have our own job. Uh, so it, it's, it's really sort of like a semi-professional level. But I did go down to Nashville in uh, 2011, and and I did my uh, debut CD with all my originals. Uh, and uh, my friends here are the top players down in Nashville that are playing in bluegrass bands. Uh, they, uh, who are all Christians, they all came on board and supported me and, and played uh, played on my record, and uh, it was really a, a wonderful experience, and uh, and I'm really grateful for it. And I, I just wanted to, before I die, actually have have some account on vinyl. Uh, uh, my attempts at at the music. CW, it has been an absolute pleasure to chat with you. It's, I, I think we can make this a weekly series if we wanted to. <laughs> well, I don't know if anybody would want to listen. <laughs> I'm sorry. I apologize to the public for uh, blowing my nose and coughing and hacking. But, I mean, it's, it's uh, like I said, I haven't had a, a nasty cold. I haven't had a cold in, I don't know, 16, 17 years at least. And this thing just like... I have never had, I've never been so sick, <laughs> uh, but well, I'm doing, I'm doing a lot better now and thank the good Lord for that. Uh, you know, on a personal note, you know, uh, uh, going through some rough times, coming through high school and getting ready to go to college, I really, really just want to let you know that I really enjoyed how you treated me and, uh, uh you know, we come up to the Jordan YMCA and play basketball with, uh. I love, there was a lot of talent there with, uh, you know, Vicki Hall, Ray Tolbert. You, I mean, you, you can name a uh, an all-star team that played the Jordan YMCA. But you, uh, you you treated me very well. You had kind words for me, and I wanted to let you know that I appreciate that. Well, Billy, thank you. Uh, I appreciate this opportunity uh, to be on your show. And uh, I sure really love your mother. She uh, was a – she's a sweet, sweet lady, and I really enjoyed getting to – getting to know her through church and I thank the good Lord for that and uh, I, I pray that this uh, this this little interview could be somehow a blessing for somebody uh, an encouragement to somebody and uh, to seek out seek out the Lord Jesus and find out what he can do for them in their life he's no respecter of persons what he's done for me, he'll do for anybody that wants to submit. And that's one thing that I've learned in my mature life is the importance of letting him run the show. Uh, Psalms 32, 8, the Lord says, I will teach you and instruct you in the way you shall go, and I will guide you with my eye. And, boy, well, there's not a better thing to take to the bank than that. It's not my duty. It's his duty. I submit, let him run the show. And my life is, the quality of my life has improved and improved and improved over the years because of that passage.